If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at The Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. How is everybody? Let's uh, open up to Romans chapter 8 as we continue in our study of Romans. And let's thank the Lord for the amazing privilege that we have to have His Word. Lord, we're... um, We are to approach your word with a sense of awe now, reminding ourselves again that what we hold in our hands are truly words from you. And so freshly we come and we commit ourselves to apply your word to our life, to bring our lives under the authority of your word. And uh, we count it an absolute honor and privilege to be able to gather together and study your word. And so we've gathered here. We ask that you would come and speak. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Well, we are back, of course, studying in the book of Romans, as we have been. And this will be our second week at looking at this particular text. You can see there in Romans chapter 8, 26 through 28. I got a little bit ambitious by putting three verses in the parentheses there. Last week, we only got through verse 26. This week, we'll only get to verse 27. And then next week, we'll actually make it all the way to verse 28. So we are ripping and roaring through Romans. (laughs) If you missed last week or any of the weeks and you want to go back and grab those, you can get them on our website. So if you're with me in Romans chapter 8, we'll begin in verse 26 and we'll go to verse 28, but we're going to primarily focus on verse 27. Let's read. It says there in verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to to the will of God. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God and to those that are called according to His purpose. Now, the first thing that that we see here is that it says that the Spirit helps our weakness. And the specific weakness that is mentioned here is that we don't know how to pray as we should. We don't know how to pray as we should. We talked about some of that last week, but this week when I was thinking about our weakness in prayer, I thought of three primary areas where our weakness in prayer is the most glaring. Only one of them has to do with our text today, but I thought about three as kind of the primary weaknesses in the area of prayer that are kind of our glaring weaknesses. The first one I think all of us could probably cop to, and that is just laziness, right? Laziness in prayer. To cultivate a real prayer life takes discipline. And when I use the terminology prayer life, I'm not talking about just some odd compulsory prayer on occasion. I'm not talking about praying when you get yourself in a jam. I'm not talking about just some little prayer you lift up at supper time. I'm talking about 
like developing a real, meaningful, dynamic relationship with God through prayer. And that takes dedication, right? It takes us being purposeful and intentional about making time in our day to pray. So, so number one is laziness. Number two is motives and intentions. Because we are a, a fallen people and we have this sinful fallen nature that still kind of lingers around, sometimes that sinful nature can taint our times in prayer. That's what James was talking about in James 4.3 when he says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on yourselves. And the danger here is that that selfishness that is a part of our sin nature creeps into our prayer life. And our prayer life becomes consumed with ourselves and what we want. And it becomes all about, all about, all about me. But prayer, when we understand it, and we understand biblical prayer, is mostly about building a relationship with God, gaining direction from God, and and drawing closer to Him. And beyond that, it is also a great opportunity for us to love on other people as we intercede for them. And if we spend all of our time, all of our prayer time, focused on the will of God and the care of others, it would still be time well spent. And even if we were to take all of our prayer time and focus it on other people in the will of God, we could still be assured that we would never miss out personally in what is best for us because what Jesus does is he assures us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, that the Father already knows what we need before we ask. And so I'll give you a little bit of a challenge. I tried it this week. I've done it in the past, and I, I haven't done it in a long time, and I, and I found it quite difficult as I tried to renew the practice. Here, here's a, a test for you this week. Take a, about 30 minutes that you're going to set aside for prayer, and don't ask for a single thing for yourself. Just try that. It's harder than you think. Because what you do is you start praying, I know I'm going to pray for Joe down the street. I'm going to pray for this situation, my friend. And then all of a sudden you start thinking about yourself because that's what we do all the time, right? We think about ourselves. And all of a sudden I'm praying for myself. And then I catch myself, oh man, I'm supposed to be praying. No, there's nothing wrong with praying for yourself. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But try the practice. And what you see is we often get ourselves, uh, our, our prayer times often get consumed with us, right? So that was, that was number two. Number one is laziness. Number two is motives. And then number three, this area is the area that our text is talking about here. And this has to do with the greater plan of God. See, what we're going to explore now is that we don't know the greater plans of God. So therefore, we don't know how to pray as we should. Sometimes we don't know what God is doing in somebody's life or situation or in that grander plan. And so sometimes our prayer is not in line with the will of God. And everything in the Bible points to the fact that God has this ultimate plan, right? This bigger plan that is beyond our understanding. 
from, I mean, and we see this thread running all throughout the Bible, right? From the calling of Abraham to leave his home, to go to the land of Canaan, to the promise that he would be a father of a great nation, to the promise that through his descendant would come one by whom all of the nations of the earth would be blessed, speaking of the Messiah. Then we come into the creation of a nation through whom God is going to bring the Messiah, right? So he, it's not as if there was a nation and God chose them and says, I'm going to bring the Messiah through them. It is that God created this nation. There was Abraham and then Isaac and then his son Jacob. And then Jacob's name was changed to what? Israel. And then his sons became a nation. God created a nation through whom he is going to bring the Messiah that was going to be a blessing to all of the earth. You see, this thread of God's master plan is is bigger than our understanding. And then we look at all of the thousands of prophecies throughout the Bible where God says, I have a plan, I'm going to do thus and so, and then some years later, sometimes hundreds of years later, he brings it to pass showing us that he's always had this plan. It's not haphazard. He's not just kind of willy-nilly doing this stuff. He's got a bigger plan, even down to the very creation of the Bible itself. It's 66 books written by 40 different authors in the span of 1,600 years on three different continents without a single contradiction within it. And it is a perfect and deliberate design to ultimately tell one story and deliver one message, and that is salvation through Jesus Christ. It all points to a plan. God's got this bigger plan, and he tells us that throughout the Bible. Listen to what he says in the book of Isaiah. He tells us that he knows the end from the beginning. He says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure, calling the bird of prey from the east and the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly, I have spoken. Truly, I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely, I will do it. Right? There's a bigger plan than often we understand. Jeremiah 29, 11, a very Um, famous verse, right? For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Or Ephesians chapter 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he did what? Prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Or Proverbs 16.4 says, the Lord has made everything for its own purpose. And so everything points to the fact that God has this overarching plan. The problem that we have is that we don't know that bigger plan, right? All that we as humanity kind of ever really get are smaller portions of that plan. We can know portions of that plan if we understand Scripture, because Scripture reveals portions of that plan. And sometimes, personally, God will, re- will, will reveal portions of the plan for our life individually, right? Because we're asking, Lord, what what job should I take? What place should I live? Would you guide me and lead me in in how I'm supposed to do this or that? Or am I to go on the mission field? And so sometimes he'll give us those little steps here and there, but rarely does he give us like 10 steps or 20 steps. There's a greater plan that we don't know, right? And because we don't know that overall plan, 
in the overall will of God, we don't always know how to pray as we should. That's what he's telling us here. We don't know how to pray as we should. And that's the very reason that when Jesus taught us to pray, what did he tell us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. There's that clause in there, your will be done, so that I can go, okay, Lord, I'm praying for these things in this way and this timing, but if that's not in line with your will, I would rather have your will on top of my prayer. And that is furthermore the reason for verse 26. It says there that the Holy Spirit helps our weakness by interceding for us. And so God makes a provision for our not knowing the grander plan through the Holy Spirit interceding for us. And verse 27 teaches us that the Holy Spirit even goes further and now tunes our prayers to the will of God. Here's verse 27 in the New Living Translation. I like the way that it reads. We have that? There it is. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads or intercedes for us as believers. How? In harmony with God's own will. Now, there's a couple things from this verse that we want to draw. The first one is this, that the Holy Spirit tunes our prayers to the will of God. So God, the Holy Spirit, that indwells every believer, every born-again believer, is somehow in some mystical way taking our prayers and communicating with the Father to align those prayers with that greater will and greater plan and that overarching plan of God that we don't know, right? I'm the one praying, but I don't know what is always best, but the Holy Spirit always knows what's best, so He steps in and He intercedes for me. I don't know exactly how that works. I assume it works something like the Holy Spirit speaks to the Father and says, I know that Tripp's praying for this, but what is really best for him at this time is that. I know that Tripp is impatient and he wants it right now, but what is best for him is for him to wait and have it later. And so in some way, the Holy Spirit is running our prayers through the grid or through the filter of that overarching will of God. And guys, can I say to you that that is absolutely awesome. And the reason that it's awesome is because it's so freeing. I don't have to be pinpoint accurate in my prayer as if I don't ask for the exact right thing, God's not going to answer it right? I don't have to be like the most eloquent person. I don't even have to have the right words. I don't have to know the best outcome. All I have to do is what? Pray. And God sorts it out according to his will. And sometimes my prayer is nothing more than God help, right? You ever had that one? Where he's, I, I, I don't know. God help. And I can be assured that the God that created me and the heavenly father that loves me more than I know and sacrificed his son for my salvation and the God that is all wise and knows everything and is only going to do what is best is covering the details, right? And I'm so glad he does. 
I'm so glad that God will override my prayers to do what's best when it's best for me or other. I'm so glad that God didn't answer all my prayers the way that I wanted them when I wanted them, right? Because so often when he answered them, he did so much better than I had even thought of. And I don't, I'm sure many of us could do this. You look back on certain things that you were praying for and you knew was the only best thing for your life and it didn't come. And then sometime later, God answered it so much better right? Anybody in here had that, right? God's working behind the scenes in ways that we can't see coming. And that's why he's God and I'm not. I have a buddy that has this saying, my my friend Waxery always says, God is not his name, it's his job description. Like that's his job to be God, to order all these things according to his will. He's supposed to be in charge because I don't know what's best. And so I'm so glad that he is. And as we're talking about this, the Holy Spirit interceding for us in this way and how amazing that is, I can't help but point out that it's not only the Holy Spirit at work, but what Scripture tells us is that Jesus also gets involved and he intercedes for us from the throne room of heaven. Listen to a few verses. Here's Romans chapter 8, 34. Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, he who was raised and who is at the right hand of God and who intercedes for us. Or Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus lives to intercede for us with the Father. Or 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So John's writing his book. He's saying, I'm writing these things to you so that the hopes are that you won't sin and you'll sin less and less throughout your life. But... If anyone sins, and we know we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So when we put it all together, and when we understand what the Bible teaches about what happens when we go to prayer, what we find out is that the Father hears our prayers, the Father loves our prayers, the book of Revelation speaks of them rising as golden bowls of incense before the Father, And he answers each one perfectly according to his perfect will, his perfect plan, and his perfect timing. Beyond that, the Son intercedes in heaven as he sits at the right hand of the Father. And beyond that, the Holy Spirit intercedes from within our own hearts because every single born-again believer is indwelt with the Spirit. And so what that means for us is that the whole team is on the job. That's what it means, that the entire Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit goes to work when we pray. That tells me at least three things. Number one, it's covered, thoroughly covered, and all I really need to worry about is what? Praying. Get down and pray. Number two, it shows me how important prayer is to God, that when I pray, 
The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit get involved in working out the best outcome. And number three, it leaves me with no excuse not to pray. It leaves me with no excuse not to pray. Well, what if I don't know what to pray for? Not a problem, got it covered. What if I'm not that eloquent? Not a problem, got it covered. I have no excuse. The second thing that we want to highlight there in verse 27 is that prayer is about God's will, not so much about ours. It's about God's will more than it is about ours. It is much more about us learning God's will and much less about getting God to do what we want Him to do. And that shouldn't surprise us, even though oftentimes when we go to prayer, right, we can be quite selfish in times of prayer. It shouldn't surprise us that it's more about God's will because as we've already said, when Jesus taught us to pray, what did He teach us to pray? Your will be done in heaven as it is, or on earth as it is in heaven. And so the goal of prayer, according to verse 27, is God's will. Listen to it again. The Spirit pleads, or the Spirit intercedes for us believers in harmony with God's will. What's the end game of prayer? God's will. The Holy Spirit is not interceding in an effort to explain and try and make sure that the Father is doing what I want Him to do, right? The Spirit's not going up there like, well, no, Trip wants it this way, so you got to do it this way. That's not the point. The Spirit is interceding to put us in harmony with God's will, to align our hearts with the heart of God. And let me say to you this, the more that we pray, the more that we will experience this. Our lives and our hearts coming more in line with God's heart and God's will. If you don't pray very often, you you probably don't have much of an understanding of this. You haven't spent enough time for God to be able to align your heart with His will. If you're just offering up the odd prayer on occasion and just going throughout your day and just doing whatever you do, you don't experience this. But when you spend time with God, He does what? He begins to show you things in your life that need to change. He begins to show you people that you need to go fix things with. He begins to show you situations that you need to go and repair. He he begins to teach us and line us up with His heart and what He's doing. And that might then change the way that we view and approach prayer. When we start thinking about it, more about us going in line with God's will than about getting Him in line with our will. Now, don't misunderstand me because somebody's going to leave here and say, well, Tripp said I can't ask for anything that I want anymore in prayer. That's not what I'm talking about. It's perfectly fine to bring your request to God. In fact, the Bible tells you to bring your request to God in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving do what? Let your request be known to God. Tell God what you want, but always with that caveat, your will be done. But the reality is, when we really understand prayer, what God has to say to us is far more important than what we have to say to Him. And so because the greater portion of prayer 
is about learning and fulfilling God's will, it only then makes sense that much or maybe even most of our prayer life ought to be dedicated to listening to God and a little less about talking. When when I look and, and reflect on my personal prayer life, I realize that way too much of my prayer time is me talking. Way too much of it is me talking and not enough listening. But prayer is supposed to be the communication portion of our relationship with God. You understand what I'm saying there? Prayer is meant to be the communication portion of our relationship with God and relationship being the key word there. And what kind of relationship will it be if I'm the one doing all of the talking and never any of the listening? I don't know about you, but I find it super annoying when other people do that to me. I know people that talk all the time, won't shut up and won't let you say anything. That's like super, super annoying to me. But oftentimes, is that not what we do to God? We rock up in there and just talk and talk and talk and talk. Okay, see you later and go about our day. He never gets a chance to say anything. And how much more foolish is it to do it to God because he's the one with infinite knowledge and wisdom and yet we're the one doing all the talking. If he has infinite knowledge and wisdom, he's the one that needs to be doing the talking. And so prayer is much more about drawing near to God to learn his will that overarching plan of God than it is to try and get him to do my plan. And this is another area where you and I can learn from the example of Jesus when he walked the earth. Have you ever pondered this question? How did Jesus know who he was and what he was called to do? Like, how did he know that he was the Messiah? How did he know that he was going to be a sacrifice on the cross. See, it reveals as we read through the Gospels that Jesus went around telling people that that's who he was. Now, we understand from the Old Testament that that the Messiah was going to be revealed and was going to be hung on a cross and would rise again. But how did he know it was him? And how did he know that as he went to these synagogues that he was to preach that he was the Messiah and that he was going to be put to death and that three days later he would rise? And how did he know which disciples to pick? And how did he know all of these things about himself that he couldn't get from other people? How did he know these things? And if we have a proper understanding of the incarnation, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7 tell us that Jesus did not cling to or Jesus did not insist on his rights as God when he became a man. Rather, what he did is he voluntarily laid aside his privileges as God and he took on the limitations of humanity, even being born as a baby. And so as being born as a baby, as a human being, when Jesus came in the incarnation, he subjected himself to the human growth process, right? He was born a baby and he grew up just like every one of us did. Like he wasn't born in Bethlehem, a full grown man at 33 years old and understood everything. He was born a baby and he subjected himself to the human growth process, but he also subjected himself to the human learning process. It says in Hebrews chapter two, verse 17, 
that he had to be made, Jesus had to be made like his brethren in all things. So he became a baby. He learned as we learned. He grew as we grew. It wasn't as if this baby's born in a manger and he instantly knew everything and he could speak all languages and understood quantum physics and could do algebra in his head, right? That would be weird, a baby in the manger that could speak like Chinese and all these other languages all at once. That's not how it works. So, so how did Jesus then learn? How did he know and find out who he was, what his mission was? Well, there's an Old Testament prophecy that tells us in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah has the most and the clearest prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. So much so that sometimes people jokingly call it the fifth gospel because it has so much information and so much clear information about Jesus the Messiah. And there's this messianic prophecy here in Isaiah 50 that explains how Jesus learned the Father's will. It says, he awakens me morning by morning. Of course, if you read Isaiah 50, you'll understand that it is a messianic prophecy through and through. And he says, he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ears and I did not and I was not disobedient, nor turned my back. So Jesus is saying that he was woken morning by morning. Now, this is a messianic prophecy because the very next verse says, I gave my back to those that would strike me, and I gave my cheek to those that would pull out my beard, and my face to those who would humiliate me and spit on me. And it goes on to talk about the things that happened to Jesus in his passion. But what it's telling us here is the prophecy is that morning by morning, the Father would wake Jesus to go away and pray. And then he would be able to reveal the things that Jesus needed to know and understand about himself. Well, guess what happens when we read the Gospels? Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says this. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, he went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 50. And we read it and we could go through all of the verses that talk about the times that Jesus went away and just took time to himself to pray in there over and over. He went early in the morning. We see that in multiple places. We see places where Jesus prayed all night. We see places where he had big decisions to make, like what disciples to, to choose. And he went away and he prayed all night for who he was to pick as a disciple. We see all of these times where Jesus would send the crowd away and then it says he went up on the mountain, was by himself there praying. And the reason is because Jesus had done what? Set aside his divine privileges. He had taken on the limitations of humanity and he has now to learn. This is how. The Father's will for his time on earth through prayer. This is why Jesus prayed. If he had already known everything, he didn't need to pray. He already knew everything. But he set aside those divine privileges, took on human limitations, and therefore he would meet with the Father. Every morning, get up early, go to a secluded place by himself, and spend the time to learn what he needed to learn so that he could live out this life 
on earth that he was living. And this is the way that it is meant to be for us. This is the way that we are meant to learn. This is the way that we're meant to grow in our faith and understanding. This is the way that we're meant to get our direction for our earthly life in the same way that Jesus. This is the design of God. We are to take Jesus' example and get really, really intentional about it. You guys with me? Here's my encouragement then for this week. Pray more. Set aside time where you're going to get like a secluded place like Jesus. If Jesus needed to pray, all the more we need to pray. And so my encouragement is pray more and listen more. In your time of prayer, set aside a large portion of that where you're just listening. You have something in your life, a situation, a a work thing, a financial thing, a family thing, a relational strain thing, a, a whatever thing thing that you got going on in your life. Go ahead and lift it up to the Lord. But then listen for a bit. Listen. Here, here's another step of faith. When you go to your time of prayer, take a notepad with you and tell Lord, I, I brought this notepad because I expect you to speak to me. I'm here to hear from you about relationship. I'm going to speak to you, but I'm also here to listen. Can we do that this week? All right. Lord, we, um, we commit ourselves to that. We ask you to show up. We know you'll show up. And so in faith right now, every one of us, Lord, we ask that you would stir in our hearts this desire to pray more. We commit ourselves this week to find time and place to be alone with you. Time and place where we can really dedicate time both speaking, but probably far more important, listening. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us in that precious time. I pray that next week that we would gather together with stories of what you've done because we were willing to listen to the King, the all-wise, all-knowing, all-loving King. How foolish we would be to talk all the time and never listen. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves fresh and new to prayer now. We ask you to speak to meet us then. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.